0: European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 40, Issue 34, Focus Issue Prevention by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Novel Insights into Body Fat Distribution and Cardiometabolic Risk The current increase in body weight is a true epidemic of the modern world. The unrestricted availability of nutrients and a marked reduction in physical activity have led to an unprecedented increase in the number of obese and morbidly obese individuals. As a consequence, the prevalence and incident of weight-dependent conditions such as high blood pressure, lipid disorders, and diabetes, as well as cardiovascular disease and heart failure have markedly increased. However, it's not just body fat, but also its distribution that results in cardiovascular risk. That this is even important in individuals of normal weight is documented in the article entitled Association between regional body fat and cardiovascular disease risk among postmenopausal women with normal body mass index by Qi Bin Chi and colleagues from the Yeshiva University Albert Einstein College of Medicine in Bronx in New York They investigated in 2,683 postmenopausal women of the Women's Health Initiative with a BMI of 18.5 to 25 kilograms per meter squared, free of cardiovascular disease, whether regional body fat deposits in the trunk or legs, as measured by dual energy X-ray absorptiometry, are associated with cardiovascular disease risk. After adjustment for cardiovascular risk factors, neither whole body fat mass nor fat percentage was associated with cardiovascular disease risk. However, Trunk fat provided increased risk with a hazard ratio of 1.91 while leg fat was associated with decreased cardiovascular risk with a hazard ratio of 0.62. High trunk, low leg fat was associated with particularly high cardiovascular risk with a hazard ratio of 3.33. Thus among postmenopausal women with normal BMI, both elevated trunk fat and reduced leg fat are associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease. The clinical implications of these novel findings are discussed in an editorial by Matthias Blüher from the University of Leipzig in Germany. Although obesity has been associated with the risk of atrial fibrillation, the association of long-term obesity, recent obesity and weight change with atrial fibrillation are uncertain. Tingting Feng et al. from the Norge Teknisk Naturvitenskapelige University in Trondheim, Norway, address this in their article. Weight and Weight Change and Risk of Atrial Fibrillation The Hunt Study Of the 15,214 individuals, 1,149 developed atrial fibrillation. The multivariable adjusted hazard ratios were 1.2 for baseline BMI of 25 to 29.9 kilograms per meter squared and 1.6 for a BMI of 30 kilograms per meter squared or greater compared to normal weight. Compared to stable BMI over time, both loss and gain of BMI were associated with increased atrial fibrillation risk. Thus, in contrast to some previous studies, long-term obesity and BMI changes are associated with an increased risk of atrial fibrillation with obesity early in life and weight gain being particularly important. These intriguing results are put into context, with other findings, in an editorial by Prashantan Sanders from the University of Adelaide and Royal Adelaide Hospital in Australia. Many diets have been recommended to decrease cardiovascular risk, among them those with less or recently more fat, less meat, and less carbohydrates or even functional food. However, little is known about the recently popular low-carbohydrate diets and mortality. In their article, Lower Carbohydrate Diets and All Cause and Cause-Specific Mortality, a Population-Based Cohort Study and Pooling of Prospective Study, Mike Banak and colleagues from the Medical University of Łódź in Poland evaluated this in 24,825 participants of the NHANES study with follow-ups of 6.4 years. After adjustment, those with the lowest carbohydrate intake in the top quartile had the highest risk of overall 32%, cardiovascular 50%, cerebrovascular 51%, and cancer 36% mortality. The association of low-carbohydrate diets and mortality was stronger in non obese than obese participants. Pool data of nine cohorts with 462,934 participants support an overall risk of low-carbohydrate diets of 1.22, of 1.13 for cardiovascular disease, and of 1.08 for cancer mortality, thus a potentially unfavourable association of low-carbohydrate diets with overall and cause-specific mortality, based on both analysis of new cohorts and by pooling previous cohort studies. Further studies are needed to ratify these important findings, which if confirmed would suggest low-carbohydrate diets should not be routinely recommended in practice. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Sonia Annard from the McMaster's University in Hamilton, Canada. Carotid stiffness and atherosclerosis is strongly associated with cardiovascular disease. In their article, Serum Metabolic Signatures of Coronary and Carotid Atherosclerosis and Subsequent Cardiovascular Disease, Iona Tsulaki and colleagues from the Imperial College London in the United Kingdom characterise serum metabolic signatures associated with atherosclerosis in the coronary or carotid arteries and their association with incident cardiovascular disease in 3867 participants from the MESA study with replications in the Rotterdam and the Lollipop studies. Using untargeted one-dimensional serum metabolic profiling by proton nuclear magnetic resonance NMR spectroscopy atherosclerosis was assessed by coronary artery calcium and carotid intima-media thickness. Overall 30 nuclear magnetic resonance measured metabolites were associated with coronary calcium and or intermedia thickness which were attenuated after adjustment for cardiovascular risk factors. Metabolites associated with atherosclerosis were involved in lipid and carbohydrate metabolism, branch chain and aromatic amino acid metabolism, as well as an oxidative stress and inflammatory pathways. Cardiovascular events were inversely related to creatine, creatinine and phenylalanine and directly to Mando's acetaminophen glucuronide, lactate and apolipoprotein B. Thus, metabolites associated with atherosclerosis predominantly tag pathways that overlap with the cardiovascular risk factors. These novel findings are put into context in an editorial by Tavi Tillman from the University College London in the United Kingdom. Although group level effectiveness of lipid, blood pressure, glucose, and aspirin treatment for the prevention of cardiovascular disease is well established and part of the most recent guidelines, important differences in the absolute effectiveness exist between individuals. In their article, Prediction of Individual Life Years Gained Without Cardiovascular Events from Lipid, blood pressure, glucose and aspirin treatment based on data of more than 500,000 patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus, Frank Visserin and colleagues from the University Medical Centre Utrecht in the Netherlands developed and validated the Diabetes Lifetime Perspective prediction model in 389,366 diabetics of the Swedish National Diabetes Registry. C statistics for the prediction of cardiovascular disease were 0.83 and 0.64 to 0.65 for internal and external validation respectively. Thus this study provides an interactive calculator at www.u-prevent.com that's the letter u-prevent.com that combines model predictions with relative treatment effects from trials to predict individual benefits from preventative treatment characteristics. As a complementary current opinion to the most recent ESC diabetes guidelines, Francesco Constantino from the University Hospital Solna in Stockholm, Sweden, presents on behalf of the ESC Cardiovascular Roundtable their article entitled Addressing Cardiovascular Risk in Type 2 Diabetes Mellitus." They remind us that two sodium glucose cotransporter 2 inhibitors i.e. empagliflozin and canagliflozin, and two glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor antagonists i.e. liraglutide and semaglutide improve cardiovascular outcomes in type 2 diabetics. Despite the rigorous outcome data the implementation of these findings in diabetes care has been suboptimal. Indeed all type 2 diabetics with cardiovascular disease or at high risk should be treated with glucose-lowering drugs that have proven effects on outcomes. To establish this, an interdisciplinary approach between cardiologists, diabetologists and primary care practitioners is urgently needed, and health insurances should reimburse the cost of such drugs. The issue is further complemented by four discussion forum contributions. In the first, entitled Life Course Trajectory of Body Mass Index and Adult Cardiometabolic Risk Is Early Life a Sensitive Period? Laura Anderson and colleagues from the McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, comment on the article, distinct child-to-adult body mass index trajectories are associated with different levels of adult cardiometabolic risk, while Marie-Jean Busco and colleagues from the University of Tasmania Menzies Institute for Medical Research in Australia respond to their comments. In another discussion forum entitled Aspirin for Primary Cardiovascular Prevention, is there a need for risk stratification? Rafael de Caterina and colleagues from Chieti, Italy, comment on the article, efficacy and safety of aspirin for primary prevention of cardiovascular events, a meta-analysis and trial sequential analysis of randomized controlled trials. Anthony Bavary and colleagues from the University of Florida in Gainesville, United States, who authored the article in question, respond to the article in their own contribution. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.